For those of you who do not know me, I'm Don Westbrook. I'm one of the elders here in the church, and uh, it is my privilege this morning to uh, offer the message. If you were wondering how I came to be the one speaking, I did not overthrow the leadership of the church and force my way up here. Somebody actually asked me to do this, and this is the time in the sermon in which I'm wondering, why did I agree to do that? Uh, So I would appreciate your prayers as uh, this is, uh, counting this time, this would be one in my sermons. So uh, uh, I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, Yesterday, I was walking on uh, the trail, the the Cargillon Trail, and Sam uh, sent me a letter, a text of encouragement, and he said, I'm praying for you. I know you'll do good and all. And I said, well, I said, I've been walking uh, Saturday morning, uh, preaching out loud and praying there on the trail, and uh, said, I had a squirrel follow me for about 200 yards. I think I led him to the Lord. Uh, uh, I saw his little hands raised, but I don't speak squirrel, so I don't know for sure. That would just be crazy talk. Uh, So So if you listen as well as that squirrel did, uh, I think you're going to get a lot out of the message. Uh, We are in Nehemiah chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me pray as we get started. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your word. And Father, I just ask that my inexperience uh, and my inadequacy will not impair the message that you have for us here today. Let us be hearers and doers of the word, Father, and we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we are turning to Nehemiah chapter 6, let me sort of bring you up to date. Let me give you a review so that we, in the timeline, will put us exactly where we are at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. We know that Nehemiah was uh, a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Uh, Artaxerxes was the king of Persia, and we know that the Persian from our from, from history, we know that the Persian Empire went all the way through Central Asia. It went west across the Euphrates River. It went south into Samaria and south into Judah where Jerusalem was. And it continued on south and went all the way west to Egypt. So it was a mighty kingdom. And he was the king of Persia and Nehemiah was his cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer was a position of great trust and respect because kings in that day and age did not run for election and get reelected. The way they knew they were no longer the king is when the next person assassinated them. So uh, the, uh, the way that they took over the kingdom was you would assassinate the king ahead of you. And one of the most popular ways of assassination was poison. And so uh, through the king's Uh, what he was eating and what he was drinking, uh, that's how often they eliminated the current king. So it was very important to have a cupbearer, and that's what Nehemiah did. He oversaw uh, what the king ate and what the king drank, and it was important that that person be trustworthy, and Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. We know uh, through chapter 1 that Nehemiah had uh, his brother and others had gone to the Holy Land to... um, to visit, and they had returned. And Nehemiah inquired of, of his brother about the people uh, 
uh, their condition. And what he was told was that they, uh, the people were in great trouble and they were in disgrace because of the condition of the walls and the gates. Now, make a mental note of that part, in disgrace, because we're going to talk about that later. Uh, the people were in disgrace because of the condition of the walls. Now, Nehemiah took this news hard. For days, the Bible says that he wept and he mourned and he prayed and he fasted. And during that time, God showed Nehemiah that God wanted him to go back to Judah and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Now, at that time, Nehemiah had choices to make, the same sort of choices that we make when we are made aware of God's calling in our lives. He could have ignored the calling. He could have said, I'm sorry that happened. It was bad. I wish it hadn't happened. I wonder what me and the king are having for supper tonight. He could have done that. He could have just done some sort of superficial um, act. He could have sent a little money to Jerusalem and hoped that somebody else would send some money and together that somebody would get it together and they could rebuild that wall. He could have done that and he could have said, well, at least I know I did my part. He could have done what many of us do and that is complain uh, about it but not do anything. He could have told everyone that he ran into his neighbors, his friends, the people he worked with, the person who cut his hair, he could have told them, look how much I am hurting because of what these people are going through. Somebody ought to do something about this and then done nothing himself. He could have chosen to do that, but he didn't. He chose to say, I am here, Lord, send me. That's what happened. God uh, opened the path. The king get, granted him favor. The king gave him resources. He traveled to Judah, traveled to Jerusalem, and we know that he started the wall going, and uh, the wall, the, he, he told the people his vision and God's vision. The people were excited, and they said, let us rise up and build, and they did. They began to start the wall. We know that he went through a number of challenges. Nehemiah and the people went through a number of challenges, and uh, every time Nehemiah stood strong. Now, why was the wall so important? Why was it so important that this wall get built? There was certainly this concept of uh, security and safety. A wall around, in those days, uh, any city of size had a wall around it to protect it from armies that would come in or um, robbers, thieves at night would come in. Without a wall, uh, there was a lack of security. But, uh, and that was certainly, that is certainly part of this. But there was more to it than that. The wall was symbolic of Israel, Israel's uh, relationship to their king, to the Lord. Again, it was, it was symbolic of the relationship between Israel and God. We know that Israel worshipped the one true living God, Yahweh. We also know that Israel had turned his back on God and started worshipping other gods and started worshipping idols and rejected the Lord. And that is why they were in the condition that they were in. That's why the, the wall was in its condition. We also know that God had made a covenant with Abraham, their forefathers, that he would impart, bless them. And part of the blessing is that he would protect them. And so this wall 
being down for so many years was a daily reminder of the people of Israel of what they had done, that they had turned their back on God. And you would have to wonder if some of them thought maybe God had turned his back on us too. This wall was that daily reminder. And that would be one reason why they felt like they were in disgrace. But also other people around, the non-Jews would uh, look around and they knew that the Jewish people worshipped Yahweh. And when they saw the condition of that wall, it would be natural for them to say, the, God, the Jews' God is not powerful enough to protect them or he's not compassionate enough to care whether they're in distress. In other words, they would, it would be natural for them to think that the Jewish God was weak and not powerful enough to protect them. All in all, it made them in disgrace. Now, we know that while the people were excited about the wall being restored, not everyone was excited. There's, there is Sanballat out there. We've studied about him up to now. Uh, we said in, in chapter 2, it says, Sanballat says that he was greatly disturbed when he heard someone was going to rebuild the wall. He was greatly disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Okay, why did he care about that? Well, most likely, number one, his mom and daddy named him Sam Ballot, and that might have been enough to put a permanent frown on his face. But, but beyond that, there was, there was the financial aspect of it. We know from uh, studies that Sam Ballot was either the governor of Samaria, the region to the north, or he was a governor of Samaria, or he was simply someone in uh, authority, who had an army, he had power, he had resources, and he knew that the Israelites, because he had described them as those feeble Jews, he knew that they were weak, and he was able to take advantage of that. He was not wanting the, to someone to come by and, and to rebuild that wall so that he would lose his ability to hold them uh, to subject them to his authority. So he was going to do everything he could to keep that from happening. All right, that's where we're at. That's where we're at right now. So let's pick up then with chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I call this intrigue and deception. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to the up to that time, I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Gesem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. All right, so we learned a lot here. We know that the wall is complete, but the gates and the, and the doors have not been hung. Now, what do you call a gap in the wall that doesn't have a gate in it? You call it a hole in the wall. And so this wall was almost four miles in circumference around the city uh, of Jerusalem, but it had as many as 12 gates in it, so 12 holes in the wall. And a, a wall with 12 holes in it is ineffective to serve its purpose. So the work is almost finished, but it's not quite finished. Sanballat hears this. He is now going to change 
his tactics. Before that, he had been uh, using verbal threats. He used ridicule. He used physical threats that he was going to bring an army. He changed his tactics to something different. This time, he's going to use deception. Deception is one of Satan's greatest weapons. And he sends a letter that on its face looks like there's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing wrong with saying, hey, uh, it looks like we're going to be neighbors. Why don't you come to Ono and we'll sit down, maybe go to Starbucks, have a scone, uh, and talk it out. It looks like it's okay. Uh, but why is it not? Can we see the map? Let's look at the map. All right. Look where Ono is. It's 37 miles away. It's about a two-day walk uh, to get there. Uh, and uh, two days there to have a meeting, and then two days back, at least four or five days that, that uh, Nehemiah would lose in construction of the gates and the doors. So at a minimum, he would have lost the work that was being done. He would have been distracted by this trip to Ono. But again, look where Ono is. It's far away from Nehemiah's uh, security area. It's far away from the city of Jerusalem where those people uh, are keep him safe. And it is in whose backyard? Samaria. And who lives in Samaria? Sanballat lives in Samaria. So it is, you are going into the enemy's backyard. Uh, as uh, Nehemiah correctly figured out, they were scheming to harm me. They were scheming to eliminate him. Satan seeks to eliminate the leaders. If you eliminate the leader, you eliminate the work. Satan sought to eliminate Nehemiah. That's who he focused on. And he is using this as a ruse to get Nehemiah away from Jerusalem so that he can eliminate him. He can assassinate him. In Texas, we would say he can bushwhack him. Uh, so uh, that did not happen. Nehemiah saw through it. He focused on what God had given him as a task. And he, and he refused to be distracted by this scheme that was presented by Sanballat. Also, notice that, that Sanballat sent the same letter four times, the exact same letter four times. It's an example for us that uh, Satan is not going to give up. He's going to be relentlessly persistent in his schemes. And Nehemiah resisted by standing firm in the work that God had given him and refusing to be um, uh, taken away from that work. He refused to be uh, distracted. For us, we have work. Each of us have things to do. God has given each of us a task to do, and we often are uh, distracted by other things, by the things of the world, by our, our work, by our problems, by uh, just our recreation, we waste a lot of time and we uh, do get distracted. Nehemiah did not do that here. So the bottom line is that Nehemiah said, no, no to oh no. So, all right, let's look at the second scheme of Satan from uh, starting in verse 5 through 9. This is a fascinating passage here. Um, then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aide 
to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. All right, let's stop right there. The thing that jumps out at you here is that this was an open letter, it says. Now, what did that mean? Well, it meant normally when one important person sends a message to another important person back in that day, what they would do is, it wasn't on a piece of notebook paper, it would be a big big sheet. They would put it in a pouch, a silk pouch. Then they would tie it across the top very tightly, and then they would very carefully put wax and seal it across the top. That lets the recipient know that no one else has seen this message. It's only for the recipient. Well, this time, it was open. It, wasn't, it was just carrying it out there open, so it was free for anyone to read. And Nehemiah, at the time he would have received this letter, would have known that everyone in kingdom come knew about the contents of what this letter said and what it meant. It was the equivalent of putting it on Facebook in an open form for anyone to see. So, this rumor has gotten out. This rumor is false. What would Nehemiah, what would be going through his mind when he read this? He would have known that all of his people, all the Israelites, would have uh, heard that what he was really planning on doing all this time was to be, uh, to put himself as king. Had they believed this rumor, they would have thought to themselves, all these things that Nehemiah said about God's vision and my vision to help have this, uh, to help this wall being built for God's glory, that wasn't true. He was really doing it to become king if they had believed that rumor. If they had believed that rumor also, they would have said, as soon as King Artaxerxes hears about this, what's he going to do? He's going to send his army and he's going to crush us and we're going to be right back where we were before. I don't agree with this. I didn't want this. Uh, I don't trust what Nehemiah is saying. All of those things could have gone through Nehemiah's mind that if these people believed what the rumor said, if they believed it, then they were in great danger and that his his. Uh, ability to rule or to lead them was in great danger also. And what about if the king back in Persia uh, heard about this? Uh, he would say, Nehemiah lied to me. He betrayed me. He wanted to be the king all this time. I'm going to send uh, my army down and take care of him. So how was he going to handle this? How would Nehemiah handle this, respond. He could have done a whole lot of things. He could have tried to find out who might have heard about this letter. Who did you tell? Let's go try to find all those people and tell them that uh, it's not true. Maybe I need to do a public statement and tell people this rumor is not true. Maybe I need to make a speech and tell people, think about how bad Sanballat is and he was, uh, uh, he's a liar and he's a thief and he's not doing these things kind of things. Maybe I need to send a messenger back to the king or Xerxes and tell him I'm not, I'm not doing what they claim I'm doing. He could have done all of these things, but he didn't do any of them. What he did was he relied on two aspects, two things. He relied on God and he relied on the truth. Those two things. Read what it says here, starting in verse 8. Nehemiah says, I sent him this reply. 
Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. You're all trying, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah responded, knowing that God, as he was following God's will, he was doing the task God had given him. He refused to be distracted and he knew that God would protect him. Uh, he also used the truth. He knew that if God was behind this, that the people would recognize the truth. It was a public accusation, and he made a public reply, and he used God and the truth. And then he prayed, Dear Lord, now strengthen my hands. I think that's interesting because I think Nehemiah knew his own heart better than anyone else, and he knew that he was weak, and he knew that what he needed from God was God's strength. And I think for us, we know our own hearts. We know where we're weak. Those are the parts that we, in our weaknesses, in our, in our inability to handle certain things, that's where we rely on God. We use God's strength for that. And that's what Nehemiah did here. A very short prayer, very pertinent as to what he was needing. All right, so this was a false rumor. And once again, if you read it on its face, did not necessarily seem like it was wrong. It seemed as if Sanballat was saying, I'm worried that this rumor is going to get out. Come back to Ono or come to Ono and, uh, and we'll confer and, and make sure this doesn't happen. On its face, it seemed okay. In reality, it was yet another scheme, a false rumor sent to intimidate Nehemiah and once again focused on the leader, the leadership. All right, let's look at the third scheme, which I call betrayal. One day, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahetabel, Mahetabel um, who was shut in at his home. Now, it was Shemaiah that was shut in his home, not Mahetabel, but that's, that's important. He said, let us meet uh, in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. All right, so at this point, taking a snapshot right there, Nehemiah did not know Shemaiah was betraying him. He thought that he was a uh, prophet of God, and he had gone to check on Shemaiah for whatever reason. Shemaiah was confined at home, and Shemaiah says that uh, people are coming to kill you. I will help protect you. I will send you to the temple. We will go in together, and we will close the gates. Again, on its face, it seemed like that was a reasonable thing to do. He was offering to protect Nehemiah. But there's two things wrong with this. One is it would have sent the absolute wrong message to the people. It would have sent a message that the leader, the leader Nehemiah, was not dependent upon God. He was afraid and he was fearful. Remember earlier when Sanballat's army threatened to attack. Remember what Nehemiah had told the people? Uh, who were building the wall, he said, half of you go with weapons and stand guard while the other half continues to, to build. And so if the people had heard that Nehemiah had run uh, and turned tail and, and was afraid, they would have thought, okay, it was good enough for us to have to stand and fight when you get a physical, when we had a physical threat, but when you get one, you turn and run away and hide. So it would have sent the absolute wrong message 
to the people. In addition to that, there was another reason. Had he gone into the temple, he would have violated God's law. Uh, under uh, Numbers chapter 18, verse 7, he, Nehemiah, as a non-priest, had the right to seek refuge within the courtyard of the temple. That was, that was a right that he had if he had chosen to take it. However, Shemaiah was saying, let's go inside the temple proper. Close the door, lock the door, and you will be safe. As a non-priest, Nehemiah did not have that option. It, was, it would have violated God's law. So it would have sent a message. Had he done what Shemaiah had suggested, it would have sent a message uh, that Nehemiah thought that he was above God's law. And that, again, would have been uh, disastrous for his leadership. It also would have sent a message to God that Nehemiah said, thought he was above God's law. So let's look at what Nehemiah says here, starting in verse 11. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sal Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. So Nehemiah saw through it. He knew God's law. He knew that would have been a violation of God's law, and he chose not to do it. He stood firm again and uh, refused to do it. Then he found out that Shemaiah had been bribed by his enemies to, to give him improper advice, to once again discredit him, to knock down his leadership and his capacity to finish the wall. All right, let's look at Nehemiah's victory. Chapter 6, starting in verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Okay, the wall was completed in 52 days. A magnificent accomplishment. This wall was, I've heard different things, 12 feet high, 9 feet thick, uh, and it was completed in 52 days. Uh, the, the part I want you to get Remember what we said in the first chapter is the people were in disgrace. Probably because in, a, in part of this because of the, the surrounding peoples who didn't respect uh, the Israelites. But look at what happened here now. Look at how the tables have turned. It says, when our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. God hadn't turned his back on the Israelites. He had provided a path for their restoration. We're going to learn about that later. He had not turned his back on the Israelites. And they knew that, and so did the surrounding people, knew that. Now, the rest of that chapter talks about that Tobiah was still trying to worm his way in uh, to get to Nehemiah's inner circle. And that shows us again that Satan doesn't give up. He continues to try to get his way. He continues to try to, to, to stop the work that God is doing. It tells us also 
that some of the enemies are outside the gate. Some of the enemies are inside the gate. Some of the enemies are outside church walls, and some of the enemies are inside church walls. But Nehemiah continued to stay firm, continued to focus on what the task that God had given him, and he continued to prioritize what it was that God had wanted him to do. Now, that's Nehemiah. How does that... How does that apply to us? That was thousands of years ago. Uh, how, does it, how does it apply to us in 2022? Well, there is this physical conflict going on between Sanballat and Nehemiah. Uh, there was, at the same time, a spiritual conflict going on between God and Satan. Uh, God's plan was to rebuild the wall and to restore the people. Satan was attempting to stop that every step of the way. Both God and Satan worked through people. And that's what was happening here. We know that Satan exists. In Job chapter 1, God asked Satan where he's been. He said he'd been to and fro roaming the earth. Uh, In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, Beware the enemy. He prowls like a roaring lion looking to devour. We know Satan exists, and we know that there is spiritual warfare going on. No matter how strong you are, how rich you are, how powerful you are, you cannot defeat the enemy in a spiritual battle. The enemy has great weapons, and we saw a lot of them here. Uh, Deception, lies, intimidation, fear. Uh, false rumors, on and on and on, he has great weapons. Uh, But the good news is God's weapons are greater. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about putting on the armor, the spiritual armor, to allow God uh, to conduct this spiritual battle. And that is what we we are to do. That's what Nehemiah did. He relied again on God, God's strength, God's provision. He asked God to remember my enemies again and again and again. He relied on that. We know evil exists. We only have to watch the news the last two or three weeks. It breaks your heart to see that evil exists. But God is sovereign. And, this, and God will prevail in this spiritual battle. And we are to prevail uh, by using God's strength and not just our own. And that's uh, one of the stories of Nehemiah. One of the things that we can learn from Nehemiah also is that in our frustration and anger, when the enemy slings those slings and arrows at us, uh, we're tempted to lash out at the convenient targets. Those who disagree with us politically, those who post things on Facebook that are wrong, and those people who betray us and do us wrong, we tend to want to lash out in anger at that. Nehemiah's responses gives us an example of how we could respond. Uh, he says that or he, what he did was he prayed. He prayed always. Uh, he used the truth in humility. Um, he didn't lash out and he didn't worry about getting the last word. And even though he was unfairly accused, he didn't make it about himself. He made it about the job that God had given him to do. I think that's a great example for us. Um, what are our tasks? Nehemiah had his task. That was to rebuild the wall and help God restore the relationship with his people. 
What are our tasks? What are our priorities? I'll just give you my personal opinion. My chief priority, I think, for me, is to glorify God and to become conformed to the character and image of Jesus Christ. What is our message? So that when we do that, if we leave our, if we live our lives the way we work, the way we treat people, our friends, our family, those who oppose us, if we are so conformed to the character of Jesus Christ, we will reflect his image. And what is our message? What is our message? You may have heard of this one before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God, the sovereign God, the creator of the universe, the one who never turned his back on the Israelites and the one who doesn't turn his back on us, regardless of how often we reject him, he does not turn his back on us. So loved the world, loved our enemies, that he sent his only begotten son. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Really believe that? If you do, I say this in all love and respect. If you believe that, then act like it. Then live like it. Then love like it. Don't live in defeat. You don't have to. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that is our message. And that's the message of chapter 6 of Nehemiah. All right, I'll pray first. And also remind you that uh, after we're dismissed, after the song, uh, the prayer teams will be up here. If you have any special prayer requests, a special need, this will be the time to do it. People here would love to uh, share with you, uh, stand next to you, pray for you, pray with you for any special needs you might have. Let me pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your goodness your kindness, your mercy, Father. We thank you for your grace that supersedes our sin, Father. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. And we ask, Father, that we would have the ability to glorify you in all that we do, Father, that we would conform our character to the character of Jesus Christ and to re accurately reflect the character of Christ, Father. Give us the wisdom, the strength, the ability to do that and to see the world as you see them, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.